Good afternoon. Uh, let me start by saying the information you are about to receive is the exclusive copyrighted material of the Murthy Law Firm. Accordingly, any unauthorized recording is prohibited by law and cannot be disseminated without our prior written permission. Uh, welcome. My name is Joel Yanovich. I'm an attorney here at the Murthy Law Firm. I'm here with Kevin Andrews, who's also an attorney here. Uh, Sheila Murthy is traveling. She's out of the country, so she wanted to be here, but she sends her regards. Uh, we know this is a very difficult time for many of you, so we wanted to put on this teleconference to um, explain what's actually going on, um, kind of go through some of the issues and concerns that people have to tell you what you really should be worried about and what you really don't necessarily have to be worried about. So I, uh, we're going to focus on the H4EAD. We will touch on a couple of other issues, including the H1B extensions based on AC21 and OPT-CPT briefly. Um, but let's, let's get right to it. Um, I do, and I'm sorry, I did want to thank Tana for setting this up. We very much appreciate it, an uh, uh, opportunity to speak with you all. Um, let me start by talking about the H4EAD lawsuit. We've had a lot of questions about that. My response basically to all of that is you don't really need to be concerned about the lawsuit. We've been saying ever since the lawsuit was filed a couple of years ago, highly unlikely to succeed. As we expected, it was thrown out because of standing, um, and uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on what legal standing means. It's a constitutional issue. But the fact that a new administration came in that was certainly hostile to immigrants, um, and the, the concern was that they were not going to really try to prevent the lawsuit from, from succeeding, the reality is they don't have any control over that. This is a issue decided by the court has nothing to do with either party um, saying that they don't care about standing. That is something that the, the, the court has to find on their own or else the case cannot go forward. That's the reason it was dismissed and we fully expect that it won't, it, it's just not going to succeed based on that. So that's why we say you can keep, you know, keep paying attention to it, knowing what's going on, but it's highly unlikely that that, that is going to um, jeopardize the H4EAD system. So what I do want to move on to is the regulatory process and the timelines involved. So Kevin, could you maybe explain a little bit about what kind of time frame we're looking at? Yeah, thanks, Joel. So uh, as many of you probably know, the H4EAD program is something that was born out of a regulation. Uh, there was a regulation passed in May of 2015 that allowed for certain H-4 dependent spouses to work, essentially if the uh, H-1 primary uh, had a green card case um, going on, basically. So prior to that date, there was no such thing as an EAD program. It was by regulation that it came into in existence, and since then, something like 100,000 individuals have taken advantage of that work authorization program. So... Um, the same way that uh, regulation comes into being is, is essentially the same process that would be required to undo the H-4 EAD. And there's a lot of speculation about a lot of things immigration-related with this administration these days, um, some more apocryphal than others. Um, but when it comes to the things that do seem to be um, solidifying into real policy, uh, that, that is where we try to focus um, you know, at the Murthy Law Firm on murthy.com. And recently, there was an agenda item posted by Department of Homeland Security to, uh, entitled Removing H-4 Dependent Spouses from a Class of Aliens Eligible for Employment Authorization. 
So the title is essentially a spoiler for what the outcome of the regulation probably will be. So this is something that I think we are um, basically at this point anticipating. So it's more about um, strategizing how to deal with the consequences of the new administration's push to exclude more uh, people and professionals. And by the way, most H4 EADs are for professionals, um, but to exclude them from, from, from work and opportunity in the United States. And so what would have to happen is through a proposed rule that would be published in the Federal Register, um, that's something that would need to be put out into the Federal Register, which is available online. Uh, there's guidance here that um, gives us an indication that we could anticipate something from uh, DHS as early as February, as next month. Um, so as soon as that comes out, that's something that we're going to make sure that our uh, our listeners and our stakeholders are aware of because that's kind of going to be the indication of a clock starting. Usually with administrative rules, there is a notice and comment period where the government comes out with a proposed rule, uh, stakeholders would respond with comments and feedback about why the rule is great or why it's horrible or something in between, and that comment period usually lasts about 30 to 60 days. The government is, is supposed to according to the Administrative Procedures Act, um, which sets forth all of this scheme, uh, they're supposed to review the comments and then make revisions to the rule, uh, but then a final rule can be published in the Federal Register, and usually they have to wait about 30 days before it goes into effect. So overall, I think we're talking about a time frame of something maybe as little as 60 days, 60 to 90 days, but potentially longer, and that would really kind of start when an actual rule is published, a proposed rule is published in the Federal Register, which we're anticipating maybe as early as February 2018. So, you know, Joel, with all that in mind and thinking about strategizing for the future, what do you think about applying for H4 EAD extensions right now um, while this proposed rule is, 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 you know, going into effect or being drafted? Right. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Um, so, and I, just to clarify, so th these time frames we're talking about, these are not Certain. We do know that they do have to generally give you that time to respond, uh, the, the notice and comments, and they, they do have to allow uh, typically once the final rule is published another 30 days before it goes into effect. But even with that, they have, they have to have time to review the comments. Presumably there will be many, many comments. So that will probably delay how long it will take for them to issue a final rule. Uh, so there, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, I think the message here is you're not going to lose your H4EAD tomorrow. It's not something that's going to happen overnight or even within the next month or two. It, it's going to take some time. Um, as for ex applying for extensions right now, first of all, the rules have not changed. There's been nothing officially published here. So a lot of this is conjecture. There, there's a lot, I mean, we're, all, we're fairly certain it will come out but we don't know exactly what it's going to say or when it's going to come out. But for the time being, nothing has changed. If you are due to extend your H4EAD, you absolutely should. And more so, you probably, if you're able to file sooner rather than later, our recommendation is go ahead and do it, um, partly because we don't know what's going to happen for people that already have an extension. So let's say you have an H4EAD that's valid for another two years, uh, Kevin, what do you think is going to happen to someone if they have a one that's valid for another two years because they get the extension right now? Is it going to remain valid after the rule goes away? Yeah, I think that's a big question that we're getting um, because people are anticipating losing H4 EAD and, well, mine's valid until 2019 or 2020. What does that mean? I, uh, 
the short answer is we don't know. Most likely, though, I think that there's a strong possibility that um, it, it would be more reasonable for the government to let the program phase out. And when you look at uh, programs like DACA and other things, you know, it seems like that would be an, a, a, a direction that they would go. From a legal perspective, I would say that, you know, generally speaking, when there is a rule that is a substantive rule that changes what um, benefits people can have, that usually it does not have a retroactive effect. It's only moving forward. And I think that in any case, if the administration decided to aggressively uh, push for the you know, rescission of existing H4 EADs, that they have to be prepared for lawsuits on that issue because it's much more difficult to take something away that's been granted um, as opposed to ending future requests for the benefit when they uh, unwind the regulation. Um, so we did receive um, a, a number of questions from, uh, from Tana regarding this, and, uh, and separate and apart from that, we've been getting questions for months about this, and we've kind of boiled these down to just a few questions that we want to go over that hopefully will cover a lot of you. Um, and um, so we kind of, I mean, one of the questions we did keep getting was about, well, what happened if you, you have an EAD that's valid now? Uh, another question we've been getting is really about what if I, I'm on H4 EAD, I started my own company, it's a dance studio, it's a tech company, it's a restaurant, it doesn't matter. I started my own company, I'm working for my own company based on the H4 EAD, what's going to happen to me and my company if I lose my EAD? Um, and I, I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, there are certainly people, there are certainly some people that are going to have options. So for instance, if you happen to be from a country that's eligible for the E2 Treaty Investor Visa, then that might be an option for you. But we're, 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 we're you know, recognizing that most people, um, people that are born in India, people or that are citizens of India, citizens of China, they're not eligible for the E2, so that's not an option. Um, if you're not a citizen of Canada or Mexico, you're not going to have the TN option, even if that were an option. Um, so what can you do? So one thing that we, we can certainly look at is possibility of H1B. Um, there's a big hurdle in filing an H1B for a company that you own. We have filed these before, and I will tell you that the rules are very, there's almost no rules on it, so it's a very risky case, or a case with a high chance of denial, even if you do everything right. So one of the recommendations might be, well, you need to get rid of your majority ownership in the company. So if you're a 100% owner now, and maybe if you were to sell 51%, to someone who is work authorized, not without, under, without restriction, so for instance, a green card holder or a U.S. citizen who's going to be running the company, um, then Kevin, can you talk a little bit about employer-employee relationship and how that kind of solves that issue? Yeah, I mean, I mean that's the, essentially the largest hurdle of doing an H-1B entrepreneur case is showing that there is an employer-employee relationship between the corporate entity or the business entity and the human individual that is like 100% owner of the company. Uh, if I own my own company, it's not likely I'm going to fire myself for insubordination. So showing that there is some uh, you know, more senatorial, less Caesar-like kind of structure to the company, uh, there needs to be more people involved and there needs to be some um, reduction in the amount of ownership and control that the uh, person who was in H-4 status may have you know, been able to take advantage of. 
And so, it, you know, in the cases that have worked for us, and I would say, I'm not sure, what do you think, Joe? I, uh, I feel like the last time we got one that was uh, filed successfully was in the prior administration. No, we, we've had since then, but it's, it's really officer-specific. Yeah, okay. It, it's it's well, which, which officer happens to get the case. Right. So, but, but in any case, um, showing that there is an actual employer-employee uh, relationship where the employee, uh, who even though has some kind of ownership interest in the company, is their performance is being reviewed, they could be terminated if they're not performing. Um, so, so this could be problematic depending on the business model since it's a much more liberal thing that was probably permitted with H-4 EAD work authorization. Uh, speaking of this, another question we've gotten quite a few, quite a, a few times is, I used to be on H-1B. I switched to H-4 to get the H-4 EAD specifically because of the, the, more, the greater flexibility. Can I move back to H-1B now? Um, Kevin, you want to explain how that works? Yeah, that's definitely an option if you have time remaining uh, to go back to H-1B. The most important thing to remember about that is how the transition works. So the way the government interprets uh, the rule about being able to work upon the filing of an H-1B petition is that it's only applicable to someone who is currently in H-1B status. So if someone is in H-4 status right, right now and files a change of status to H-1B, they are going to have to wait until the H-1B petition is approved before they can start actually working for the H-1B sponsor. Unless they still have the EAD. Oh, well, the, right, because the EAD gives that work authorization until that date. I'm just saying if something happens with the H-4 EAD program, you have to be mindful of these time frames. Um, but, yes, if you do have an EAD that bridges you until the H-1B petition is approved, then there's not going to be any gap in employment. So it's possible. I just want to be clear that you're not able to start working upon just the filing of the petition um, unless you otherwise have work authorization. It would have to be approved be, to be able to work in H-1B status again. Um, and then the other kind of general question we've been getting, obviously a lot of people on H-4ED have never been on H-1B. So we don't have a rule now. Let's assume for a moment maybe they don't publish the rule in February. Maybe. It comes into to April and we still haven't heard anything. You know, at that point, or if the rule comes out before then, do you file the H-1B a lottery case? Um, and unfortunately, I, I think the answer is if you can find one, yes. Uh, we're we're going to have to recommend that. As much as it's clearly preferable to be on H-4EAD, with the, you know, I would say strong likelihood that that program is going to go away, it's very likely it would be worth pursuing. Now, it could be filed potentially for consular processing where let's say for a moment that they decide to let you keep your EAD that's valid for the next two years and you want to stay on the H-4 EAD for two years. You could do that. You could file a cap case for consular processing and then wait to, to go out, you know, go to India or, or where have you out of the country to get a visa stamp and come back in. Um, so you wouldn't be putting your H-4 EAD at risk in that respect. Um, Kevin, you want to? Yeah, I would agree with you because uh, about the decision to file a cap case, if, if you have not been counted against the cap in the past, you've been relying on H-4 EAD since, you know, 2015, or, 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 uh, and now work is really important. Uh, I think for this year, thinking about filing a cap case this year is critical because of these potential time frames. Joel, you're absolutely right that we don't know if they're going to actually publish the, uh, you know, the death rule on this uh, starting February. But if they did, with the timing of how, you know, knowing you need to file a cap case by April 1st for a start date of October 1, 2018, that may be the only option for, for many people. So 
um, it's something that I think a lot of individuals need to strongly consider when you think about the, the potential time frame uh, for what, what we're talking about here with the H4, H4EAD program. Yes. <clears throat> so, you know, again, I, I wish we had better news for you. I, I certainly, you know, until, you know, the last year when people have asked about switching from H4EAD to H1B, my normal response would have been, if you're on EAD, you're all the better. Why, why would you go to something that's more limiting if your spouse is in a solid H1B position? But nowadays, the, the, the circumstances have changed, and unfortunately, it, it very much looks like that program is going away. Um, so I, I know that there's a lot of unanswered questions here, um, but it's not because we don't want to answer them. There's a lot of things that we just don't know. The information is just not available. Um, as soon as we have more information, as you're aware, we will post it on murphy.com. Um, it's all free, all that information we have on our website. It's all written by lawyers, checked over by lawyers, so you can be pretty darn sure about the accuracy of it. Um, we don't publish, un, you know, don't publish rumors. We don't publish conjecture, we, unless there's something where we have to address because it's out there in the media. Um, but we do try to get the information out there relatively quickly and extremely accurately. Um, I do want to move on to a couple of other things here that have been in the news. Um, one of the issues is about the H-1B extensions based on AC-21. I'll be very quick on this. Um, as we expected, we, we wrote an article, and there were some other attorneys and ALA posted articles saying they can't do this. The, the government has no ability to prevent the one-year H-1B extensions. They could theoretically go after the three-year H-1B extensions beyond the standard six-year max, but not the one-year. And it came out today that they're backing away from that. They're no longer looking into that. They, they, USCIS essentially acknowledged exactly what we said, which is that they have no ability of getting rid of the one-year extension. So I don't think that's anything for you to be concerned about. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, just real quickly, AC-21 is a law passed by Congress. Um, so that's why it has more legal force, you know, in our, in our system. What we've been talking about with H4EADs is based on a regulation, which doesn't have as much force as a law, um, but when you compare a regulation to something like DACA, which is based off of an executive order, it is like the, the, the least legal authority in executive order, which is why that can be more quickly unwound than, an H, than the H4EAD program. But unwinding AC-21 requires getting Congress involved, and I think that was the most, uh, that was the thing that we've been trying to emphasize this whole point, this whole time. Um, and then the other thing that came out, um, people had questions about, was the OPT and CPT for students that are on F1 or on M1. Um, the only reason people have asked questions or you've been hearing about that was the same rule agenda that they put out. And this is basically a wish list. This is not necessarily rules that are coming out, and it's not necessarily when they indicate they want them to come out. But they may. So one of the issues was that there is a proposal, and it's, it's not even at the proposal stage yet. Nothing has been published um, other than that they're looking at OPT and CPT. They want to see how it impacts U.S. workers ostensibly. Uh, they want to, uh, they, they're according to the Trump administration, they want to weed out fraud. So what does that all signal? It signals that if they want to issue a regulation on this, and again, this is a regulation, not a law, and not an executive order. So that's kind of in the middle where they can do it without Congress, but they can't do it overnight. Could they get rid of CPT could they, or, or OPT? Could they just change the amount, the, the, how long you get it for instead of a 24-month STEM OPT extension that they could reduce that amount of time? 
yes, they could do all of that. It's not in place yet. The, the, the date that they listed was, I believe, October of 2018 for publication of the proposed rule. Again, we don't know what that's going to say. We don't know if it's going to be coming out at that time. If it does, it, could, it probably will be bad in the sense that based on this administration. Um, but again, at this point, nothing has changed and there's nothing in the works that's going to change it right now. Yeah, my, my speculation for this, because the rule talks about, or, or the proposal talks about making changes that would uh, create protections uh, for U.S. workers. And what you saw with the STEM OPT extension is uh, basically a lot of extra paperwork, a lot of extra checking for STEM OPT. And my, my impression is that uh, we can expect something similar with the initial OPT if and when they make any changes. Um, and, and perhaps the CPT employment as well, because um, you know, I think the government has um, recently, even before this administration, cracked down on the use of CPT, certainly with certain um, uh, universities. And you know, if they see it as a way to get around work authorization and not actually trying to enrich the academic program, I think they're going to crack down on that. So those are two areas where I think that I think we're going to see a little bit more scrutiny, um, with or without a new regulation. But if this does happen, they're anticipating, they're uh, claiming it's going to be something in late 2018. So um, we we don't want to take up too much of your time. Again, there's so much information that we that just isn't available yet. That I know. Again, you're you're still going to have questions after this. But the reason you have questions is very likely just because the information isn't available yet. Um, so stay tuned. I, I know Tana puts out information. Murthy.com. We put out information almost daily. Um, we are closely tracking this stuff, and I promise you, we, we will be certainly submitting comments on the H4EAD rule if and when it comes out to strongly oppose it. I mean, our position all along is that all H4 spouses, regardless of where the H1B spouse is, uh, in the green card process, we want, we feel that everyone should be able to get the EAD. It makes no sense otherwise. Um, unfortunately, with the current administration, we're, we're almost certainly not going to be going that route. Um, in any case, we do appreciate you, you joining us today from myself, from Kevin Andrews, from Sheila Murthy. Um, thank you very much, and um, you know, please stay tuned, and we will let you know as soon as we get any new information.